Hey, good morning. My name is Jill, and I'm the Manhattan Beach campus pastor here at Journey of Faith. I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning. Also, this is a great moment because we're joining those of you over at our Torrance campus, also our online community. We're so glad that all of you have chosen to spend part of your weekend here with us today. And hey, since it's Father's Day and since I'm here, I do want to give a shout out to my dad. I love you. And the way that you have showed me uh, what a life that has been changed by Jesus can look like. Uh, It really is the best thing you ever could have given to me as your kid. So thank you for doing that. Uh, All of our dads here in the room today, we know that you carry the weight of a lot of things. Uh, So we hope that today you would feel encouraged, uh, that you would have opportunity to be thanked for all that you do for your family, uh, your kids, your parents, and those people that you make an impact. Um, Just happy Father's Day to all of you. We are in the last week of our series that we have been calling Lenses. Now it's been called this because we We've wanted to look at the different literary genres in the Bible and understand how they were written, how we can learn from them so that we can have a fuller and more complex understanding of who God is and how he relates to us and how that relates to the way that we should be living our lives. Each week we've been using this image right here to kind of understand the way that the Bible is organized. And if you can see, we have come come a long way. In the last couple of weeks, we've covered the law, the narratives, poetry, and prophecy. We've been hearing from you about how these were so impactful. So if you've missed any one of these message series, please go watch it on our website or our YouTube page. And so everything that we've been covering uh, before the Gospels, we have seen how it has led us to the greatest moment in all of history. All of the point of this section of the Bible was to bring us to recognizing that Jesus is the Savior and the Redeemer of the world. So then today we're going to switch gears a little bit and we're going to cover the sections of the Bible that are following the Gospels. Now right after the last Gospel of John, you'll find the book of Acts. Now Acts is a historical record of the earliest Christians. Now, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his followers, go out into the world and tell every single person that you can about my love for them. And so that's what they did. They began traveling around the region, sharing the good news of the gospel. And as people, a tremendous amount of people came to faith, these early church leaders would establish churches and then they would move on. Now, it probably would have been easier for these early churches if the leaders would stay with them and help them figure out what a life of faith looked like. Uh, But the first Christian missionaries, they didn't have that mindset. They had to go. They had to share the gospel with the world. And so that required them to leave these people that they loved. And so they stayed in contact and connection with the earliest believers through the letters. Now, the letters make up about 35% of the New Testament. Uh, They're broken down into two sections. So the first one, these are Paul's letters. The Apostle Paul wrote them, and they're um, structured from longest to shortest. 
And then following Paul's letters, you get the general letters. Now, one difference between the Pauline letters and the general letters is that Paul's audience was generally non-Jewish believers, whereas these general letters were more written to the Jewish Christians in the first century. Uh, Those ones are arranged chronologically. And now in here, you'll find letters that were written to specific churches, to a region of churches. You'll find letters that are personal letters to friends and family. You'll also find essay-style letters that are laid out to build a really strong teaching or understanding of something that the believers in these early churches were going through. And now these letters, uh, they're similar to the ones that we might write today, but the way that they were received is very different than the way that we would read a letter that we would receive. Uh, When the letters were received by the churches, they would gather everyone in the church together, and then the letter carrier would read that letter to the entire congregation from start to finish. Another unique thing about these ancient letters is that the authors would write them in a style so that it sounded exactly like them. The goal would be that whichever letter carrier would take the letter to the church when they would read it, that church would feel like the author of the letter was in the room with them. The author of the letter was telling them something highly personal that they needed to know. Now, sending letters in this time of history was not easy, and it was not cheap. So the authors of these letters were so intentional in saying exactly what needed to be said in order that the early Christians could understand and practice their faith. And now you'll also hear the letters referred to as this, epistles. Epistle is the Greek word for letter. An epistle became uh, to describe the unique kind of ancient letter that is in the Bible that was used for teaching and encouraging and correcting the early believers. Uh, So how do we even begin to understand how we are to read and understand these letters that were written so long ago? As I was thinking about it and trying to understand how to explain it, it made me think of escape rooms. Okay, so stick with me. I love to play escape games. But if you've never played one before, here's the idea. You are locked in to a highly thematic room with a team of people, and you have to try to get out of the room. Now, you get out of the room through problem-solving, critical thinking, observation, and doing puzzles and riddles to bring about these clues so you're actually able to get out of the room. Now, if that sounds like something you would hate, that's fine. But if that sounds like something you want to do, you just let me know when and where, and I will meet you there, and we will escape the room together. Because I love to play these kinds of games. And as much as I love to play them, I absolutely hated my first experience in an escape game. And here's why. The team of friends that we assembled to come together to escape the room, not one of us had ever played a game like this before. So we got there and they lowered us in the elevator to the cavernous room that contained ancient artifacts and we quickly realized we have no idea what to do. 
So for like 60 minutes, we scrambled and we tried to find things and we read letters over and over and we were stuck. We didn't move forward and we were like, this is only frustrating and not fun at all. We didn't give up though. And after about 60 minutes, we ran out of oxygen and we all died right there in the cavern. Now we didn't really die, but our dignity died because at the end of the game, the teenage employee came into the room to explain to us all the ways we were bad at this. He was like, well, if you had noticed that over there, then you would have seen. Or if you had read and the way that this word was written and how it was, you would have seen that that connected to that and you put it in there and then you got the key and then you escaped. We were like, we didn't even know what we were supposed to be looking for. And that's when I realized that's the difference between a frustrating escape game experience and one that is fun and fast-paced and forward-moving and helps you accomplish the purpose of getting out of the room. It's knowing what you're looking for. And when you read the biblical letters, that's the same thing. You need to know what you're looking for so that you're able to understand how to apply it to your daily life. And here's our main idea for today. Through biblical letters, we can see God's direction for our everyday lives. Now, generally, in the letters, they're going to be about two things. Something, as a believer, you need to know, and something, as a believer, you need to do. And they're always arranged in that order, because the Bible authors wanted to communicate that a life following Jesus has to start with a life connected to Jesus. They wanted to make sure that the believers knew who Jesus is and was and what he accomplished on their behalf and who he made them capable to be. They weren't just trying to get obedience. They weren't just trying to change the outside of every person, but they were trying to say, you change on the inside, and then that affects every single area of what you do in your daily life. The authors are trying to help the reader understand, I believe, and then I do. And that transformation from one to the other is what these Bible writers are trying to accomplish. Actually, a really good question to start with when you get an epistle is this question. What is the author trying to do here? Now, sometimes it's very easy to know what the author is trying to do. And that's because it quite literally says, it says this, I am telling you this. But there is one thing I want you to know. Now I appeal to. I am writing you this so that. Right? Immediately following this sentence is the thing that the Bible author wants you to know or wants you to do. Right? But it's not always this easy. It's not always so clearly spelled out for us. So then what are the things that we need to look for so that we can begin to understand what the author is doing? Well, one of those things is this. The context. Now, the context is the historical and the cultural and the biographical information that's going on around this letter that's going to make a difference into what it says. Now, most of us, we do not know this off of the top of our head. 
But you can look to find some different informations that then you can then uh, research and look into. And one of the spaces that you find the who's and the what's and the when's are in the opening of the Bible letter. Now, the opening of the Bible letter, this is a part of the Bible I used to skip over to get to the good parts of the letter, but don't do that because they hold so much important information to the letter. Let's look at some examples. This first one is from the book of James. This letter is from James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, the Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. So we can see that the author of this letter is James. We believe that this is Jesus's half-brother, and you can read about James's life in the book of Acts in chapters 12 and chapters 15. Now, he was the pastor of the first Christian Jewish church, and his audience for this letter is Jewish Christians that live outside of Israel. So when you read the book of James, there will be a lot of culturally traditional Jewish things that you need to work to understand. Uh, There'll be words like synagogue and law. James uses Jewish people from the Old Testament to teach lessons to the people in the New Testament. So you can find those names in the book of James and jump back into the Old Testament and read more about who those people are and, and understand why James is even including them in the body of the letter. So here's another example from the book of Galatians. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. Now, there's a couple of interesting things happening in the opening of this letter. You see that it's written to a region of churches in Galatia. That's like modern-day Turkey. And you also see that Paul is not alone when he's writing this letter. This part here, you can read what's going on in Paul's life in Acts 13 through 15. And then you can begin to understand why Paul was bringing the heat to the Galatian churches. Right? He says, I'm not alone in sending this letter. And right before it, you see that he's like, I'm here on behalf of Jesus, no one else. So you can assume that there were maybe some other leaders that were coming in, representing other entities, and creating some confusion and disruption to the church. And so when Paul is so frustrated and just desperate to get the truth to the churches in Galatia, you can understand where that's coming from. Now, as you begin to learn to discern the difference between the contextual, specific truths that relate to just the people of those times, and then the higher level, timeless truths and themes in these letters, that's when it really makes a difference uh, on how we can apply it in our daily lives. Uh, Which brings us to our first point today and one of the main purposes of the biblical letters, and that's to move us from belief to behavior. 
Now, I mentioned early that generally these letters are about what you should know and what you should do. And then fortunately, inside these letters, that's kind of becomes a predictable structure. Because after the opening of the letter, it'll move into the body of the letter. And the body of the letter is going to be the longest in the middle section of your New Testament letter. And it generally is going to contain the main point or the main idea for the letter. Now, the first half is full of just beautiful and rich theological truth about who God is and how the Holy Spirit works and how Jesus made everything right. And then the second half has commands and instruction and explanation and correction and different things that the believers should do based on what they know about God. So I want to tell you a couple of things that you can look for uh, within the body of the letter, because one interesting thing about the body of the letter is when it was written by the ancient authors, they didn't include the numbers in the Bible that we know as chapters and verses. Those were added later so that we would be able to locate different sections of scripture. So sometimes you have to look past those numbers so that you can identify the theme that the author is talking about and the thought process or find the complete thoughts so that you're better able to understand. And there's a couple of things that you can look for to make that happen. The first one is common phrases. Common phrases throughout the epistles like, therefore, so that, according to, and because can help you know whether a thought is ending or whether a thought is about to be expanded upon. Uh, My mom, who's an amazing Bible teacher, always used to say, if you see a therefore, you need to stop and see what it's there for. Right? And then the Apostle Paul does this in the book of Ephesians where he literally hinges those two sections of scripture on a therefore. It shows up here in Ephesians 4.1. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. So it's clear to see what the Apostle Paul wants from the people. He's saying, live a life worthy of your calling, right? That's the command. But since it starts with a therefore, this is based on something else. So when you read the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters just exalt Jesus. And just talk about he has done everything we could ever need. And you have the power through Jesus to live a life worthy of your calling. And so all of the explanations in scripture are to establish what you know and how that affects how you go out and live your life. Um, The next one that you can look out for is specific responses. Now there's a couple of times in the Bible that it's very clear that the author is addressing something Uh, specific that's going on. So here's an example from 1 Corinthians. It says, For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Actually, when you read 1 Corinthians, it becomes clear that the whole letter is kind of a Q&A with the Corinthian church, except for we don't really have the Q. Right? We just have the answers. We just have the instructions and the clarifications and the um, explanations that Paul is giving to the Corinthian church to handle some specific issues to the church. They wanted to know more about some dietary restrictions. They wanted to know about how you should dress when you participate in corporate worship. They were trying to understand how their spiritual gifts uh, worked themselves out with one another. And so there's these highly specific things 
that when you see a specific response like this, that's your clue to do the little bit of extra work to say, what applies here to these people in this time? And what is the higher theme that Paul wants them to see? And how might that be applied to my life so that I can go out and live differently? Another one in scripture that you can look for or in the letters is comparison and contrast. Now the Bible authors use this as a thought tool to help the believers understand a tangible difference. So here's an example from Ephesians again. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which was corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So Paul is saying, the way you used to be, don't be like that anymore. The way you maybe would have reacted to something in your old and sinful nature, now you have a new nature. So in all of your life, how are you, are you showing this new nature that looks like a truly righteous and holy nature, right? He's trying to teach them that by saying, you compare who you were and who you are. And can you see the difference of God's work in your life? And so he uses that comparison and contrast so that the hearers of the letter can understand how to make a difference in their life. Now, I have an action step that I want to ask all of you to do so that you can start this practice of looking for the uh, themes and thought patterns in the Bible and in the letters, and it's this. Read or listen to one book of the Bible from start to finish. Then write down one thing that you should know and one thing that you should do. Now, if you have the Bible app on your phone, which is a free app, you can actually access an audio Bible uh, that will read to you every single letter. And the reason I really want you to try listening to the letter is because when I was in seminary, my favorite class uh, was New Testament 2. And in that class, we were supposed to read every single letter over the course of the semester. Now, during this time, I was commuting like 50 minutes every single day. So I decided instead, I'll just listen to the letter while I'm driving. But I had no idea how the letter in this format would change my life. I was able to really, uh, the best way I can describe it is just feel the letter. I felt like the author was in the car with me, and and when they were exasperated, I felt exasperated. And when they just wanted the change in the lives of the people, I wanted to change my life, right? It really became something that was different than I had ever experienced the Bible before. So I think everyone should do this. And pay attention to those thought patterns and those themes so that you can identify one thing uh, that you learned or one thing you were reminded of or one thing that's now more clear because you read the letter and then write down one thing you can do different uh, because of what you know based on that letter. Uh, Because I was changed. It changed every area of my life and it changed the way I interacted with other people. Um, And that's the second purpose or one of the second main things themes of the Bible letters, and it's this. Letters invite us to live together in spiritual community. 
Now, a huge theme of the Bible letters is the way that we treat each other. And this is important to the Bible writers because it was important to Jesus. Now, we know that because this is what Jesus says in John 13, 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We are to show people we are different by the way we love one another. So throughout the letters, you'll see different ways that the biblical authors are trying to teach this idea, and they're, they're trying to explain how to do this idea in the daily lives. And so there's a couple of more things that we can look for that will help reinforce this truth. So let's talk more about those. The first one is repetition. Now, repetition shows up in the New Testament letters because the authors are trying to grab your attention. They can become kind of rhythmic and poetic sounding, and it's that idea that if you've been listening to this letter for a while, the author wants to re-engage you by using some repeating words to really make a point. So here's an example from 1 Corinthians where Paul is talking about the spiritual gifts. And how the spiritual gifts, which the spiritual gift is like a special skill or ability that God gives you to benefit the body of believers. And so they had written to the Apostle Paul to get some clarification around how these gifts work together. So here's what Paul says. If I could speak all of the languages of the earth and of the angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I could understand all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't have love for others, I would have gained nothing. Now, these spiritual gifts had become a problem in the church, and they were creating division because they were fighting over which gifts are the best and how you use them. And Paul wants them to see that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you can do for the body of Christ. If you don't love people, it doesn't matter. Don't excuse fighting and quarrels and disrespect because of the good works that you can do that benefit the church. Paul is saying the most important thing is the way that we treat others. So get that squared away, and then we can use all of these spiritual gifts to benefit the church because the way that we treat each other matters. And here's another one. Lists. Now, the New Testament letters are full of lists and different styles of lists. And this is because the biblical authors wanted to appeal to the logical mind and the emotional mind and the moral mind and and different listeners were going to connect in different ways. So sometimes when you read the letters and you're like, this feels kind of all over the place, it's because the authors were trying to write in a way that would appeal to everyone in the church. So you have a couple of different kinds. There's vice virtue lists. And this is where the authors of the letters just list bad and good habits. They are just laying it on thick so that you can see and understand the change that you can make or should make in your life. Uh, There's also moral command lists. Now, moral command lists take out all of the work to understand what the author's trying to get you to understand. Because in a moral command list, it says, do this or don't do this. 
And that's your choices of what you should or should not do. And then the last one that we're going to look at a little bit longer is an exhortation. Now, exhortations, they take their time. They build throughout the list. It's like the author is giving you a pep talk of all that you can be and all that you should do because of who God has made you to do. So here's an exhortation to the Colossian church from Paul. Again, he says, Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Now, this, this one sounds to me like Paul, as the spiritual father, is looking at all his kids and saying, please just get along. Please, can you just get along with each other? I know that you're different, but we can make up for that. We can find ways to forgive. We can find ways to work together. And we can do this because God did it first. Jesus modeled what this looks like to fight for unity and fight for connection to one another, and we can follow Jesus' example in the way that we prioritize getting along with one another. You really begin to see this as an important theme in the way that we treat each other. You get to see another really relational element in these letters through the closing. Now, the closing of the letter follows the body. And in the closing of the letter, the authors really make it personal. You really get to see these are just normal people trying to figure out how to follow Jesus and try to help as many people follow Jesus at the same time. So they, um, they mention future plans. They invite people to come see them. They thank the people that helped them write the letter. They thank the person that went to deliver the letter. They have shout-outs to people in the church that are doing a great job. Uh, they want to acknowledge the hard work that different people are doing. You see that they were staying connected for the sake of helping each other grow spiritually. And so we have that same opportunity, right? We can be inspired by the encouragement and the exhortation that we find in the letters, and we can give that to one another. So here's an action step for this week. Write a spiritual letter to someone. We have the opportunity to encourage people specifically when it comes to spiritual things. Now, our letters that we write today won't be in any form of a Bible 2,000 years from now, but that's not the point. The point of the letter is to serve as an encouragement to spur someone on in their faith. Now, I had a friend who used to do encouragements by saying, um, I see Jesus in you when... And so I borrowed that as a way to encourage my friends and family and life group members. I say, I see Jesus in you when, and then you call out something specific that they've been working hard on, or an, a, a conviction that they turned into obedience. You should say, that's amazing that you overcame that. I see Jesus at work in your life. Or if there's somebody going through some, something hard and difficult, you can say, I see the way you are persevering through this hard thing by staying so connected to Jesus. We have an opportunity to call out the spiritual good things we see in one another as an encouragement or a support, and sometimes even as we teach and help one another understand scripture. 
So here's what we've talked about today. Through the biblical letters, we can see God's direction for our everyday lives. And here's how. Letters move us from belief to behavior, and letters invite us to live together in spiritual community. Now, before I close, I do need to talk about escape rooms one more time. In every escape room, in addition to the great theme and the puzzles and the clues, there's always some sort of button that looks like this. Press to exit. Now, at any point in the game, if it's too hard or if you're stuck or if you don't want to do it anymore or if something bad happens, you can press this button and the game is over. The door opens and you get to get out of the room. Now, sometimes when you read the Bible letters, you might encounter a moment where you want to press a button like this. We're like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I want out of here. Or if you're like... Oh, that's a level of conviction I was not ready for. I'll just pretend I didn't read it, and I'll press the exit, right? So when you encounter this kind of moment that you want to press to exit, don't. Stick with it. Instead, bring each other in. Because similarly to the way that these early Christians would hear this letter and understand it together and figure it out together and hold one another accountable, we can do that for each other. We can build a loving, forgiving, devoted spiritual community here that was started thousands of years ago by Paul and James and John and Peter. So when you read these Bible letters, the goal is not to understand them the first time. Or the goal is not to live perfectly from here on out after you read them. Right? The, goal, the goal is to come together and to work to understand and have each day of our life be moving in the direction of following Jesus a little bit more. And that's what the letters can show us. 